Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Yes, yes, yes. And welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast with me, PB. And today I'm joined by Pat. Hello, Pat. How's it going? The yes, yes, yes is back. It is back. I listened back last week and, you know, part part of me died inside. I was gutted. Well, if part of you died inside at the back of that, I mean, the rest of you must have died last night after the performance we, we put in. Yeah, and if anyone uh, follows either of us on Twitter, you, you may have uh, tuned into our instant reaction Twitter spaces last night. Um, we had some good good chat there um, with around 200 people tuning in and a few people getting involved in the conversation as well. So if you're listening to this and that, thank you very much. Um, it was good, some good chat, wasn't it, Pat? Yeah, it was awesome. Like uh, at the start, it was just me and you. And then we were like 40 minutes in and I was like, crap, there's like 150 people in here. So uh, loads of people followed me and I guess you, Johnny and and Fresh Arsenal off the back of it, uh, which is really awesome. Uh, I guess selfishly from our point of view was was the aim, but we also wanted to do a bit something a bit different to what's out there already. Obviously, kind of very fortunate that I randomly have access to Twitter spaces, but um, like hopefully the next one will be a bit, lot more positive. Maybe we'll do a, a post Sheffield United reaction if uh, if the boys are around yeah we're looking to do them um obviously there's four of us that are um sort of interchanged on the podcast so uh, I imagine a couple of us will be able to jump on um into a space as they call it and I think they're <laughs> going to make it make it accessible for more accounts so um yeah yeah and apologies if you're listening and it, and it suddenly ended for you last night that appears to be uh Bit of a technical hitch as, as part of the for me as well, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we didn't get to say goodbye, but um, yeah, thanks for joining. If you did, so obviously we're talking on the back of such an uneventful game, and then an incredible amount of events in the last five minutes, <laughs> uh, where Arsenal drew one-one with Stavia Prague. Of course, it was the first leg, uh, and the next leg is away uh, next week. 
Um, and we're not going to walk through the game in this podcast. We're going to try and keep it bite-sized for you. So the first thing I want to touch on, we're going to go through a few topics. We're going to look at the lineups. Um, then I want to talk a little bit about the midfield and, and how that functioned or, or didn't function on the night. Um, and then a bit on our finishing and then look at the substitutes as well. So let's kick off with the lineup. Pat, when they came out uh, an hour and a half before kickoff, as I found out the Europa League schedule is, I didn't realise that, you get a, an extra half an hour early. What was your initial thoughts? I wasn't shocked at the exclusion of, of Bamiang and Pepe, considering how poor they were in the Liverpool game. I was... The, the Cedric decision as well was a bit 50-50 for me, but I kind of thought saw it as like, well, you know, if you go gung-ho, Saka left back and Pepe right wing, then you leave yourself really exposed. And if you do concede a couple, then that's that's a big mountain to climb. I also think Saka probably had a bit of a fitness concern and, you know, playing him right wing where he can cheat a little bit in front of Bellerin rather than left back where you're like, you know, if you're under the cosh, there's not really any way you can cheat. Um was was an issue uh so i think that was that probably went into arteta's decision making as well i think mm. the, the biggest issue was um the well i think there were two main issues right you had the whole right side of the team either played horrendously are pretty bad at football or looked unfit so holding technically i think he didn't cover himself with any glory um and Bellerin, I think, has had a really shambolic season, uh, especially the second half of the season. And I think he just looked kind of out of out of his depth yesterday. And Saka was looked injured to me, especially in the second half. Like he, he looked like he couldn't really stand straight. It was really strange. Um, and Party had his worst performance in an Arsenal shirt. Now, if we go over to the left side of the pitch, we had a partnership that is just tried and tested in the way that it doesn't work. Like Cedric and Willian as a partnership doesn't work. And then the connection of Willian and Lacazette also is, is, is really, really poor because what Willian wants to do whenever he gets the ball is just come inside and kind of like retain possession. And Lacazette wants to come really deep. And, and what happened, we ended up with a situation where Smith Rowe was, was forced to, to bust a gut and, and get into some of those channels that Lacazette and, and Willian were not taking advantage of. And Saka became like one of the only players that, that was going in behind. So I think the mistakes for me I actually don't think the right hand side of the, the the team was a bad decision in the way that it was played like like Mikel Arteta can't be responsible for like a one out of ten party performance he can't be responsible for you know uh, a holding as his only kind of fit right centre back um, not being up to task the Bellerin one I think he might take a bit more uh, culpability for I know Chambers isn't everyone's cup of tea but like I can't really see how he would have done worse than Bellerin there in that game especially if from a forward going going forward perspective like I just I just don't understand some of the runs he was making were um they lacked so much football intelligence that it was actually shocking to me like I was watching it and I was like if I was watching this as a neutral or if I was like a coach and I was just watching what this guy is doing I'd be like dumbfounded because none of it makes sense and um so so yeah there, there were a few issues for me i think in but again hindsight is twenty twenty, right like at the time i was like good you know pepe and abamyang were utterly abysmal last game 
them getting a rocket up the ass by being on the on, on the bench for like our biggest game of the season isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, we'll go into the subs later in 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 the in the podcast, mm. but I think off the bat, starting lineup for me, William was a big mistake. Bellerin in hindsight was kind of like a mm, not sure about that one. Um, so so those were the the only two gripes I had majorly, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the big problem for me um, was mentality. I mean, as a manager, you're responsible for sort of setting up the team, obviously, but but introducing the mentality in, in games like this. And it just felt like from the first whistle that the message had been to not concede. Um, and I think the selection indicated that, the selection of Willian. Um, if you look back when Willian's come on or he started, it's pretty much always when we're trying to keep hold of a lead or keep hold of keep hold of the ball so and to be fair he did that but he didn't do anything when it comes to like actually being incisive in attack which is what we need a left forward to do when you have Lacazette up top when you have Smithrow and Saka who are very young and might put in a stinker yeah I mean he he did it very slightly but we'll when we talk about the midfield a bit later I'll, I'll bring out some stats but yeah, I think whether it's Willian, um, whether it's Lacazette through the middle, I mean, as you say, Aubameyang was terrible against Liverpool, but so was Lacazette. So, yeah. you know, I, I think you, I think he should have started Pepe and Aubameyang because I don't see what Willian and Lacazette have done to deserve. I think the the, the decision was made for him when Odegaard was, was ruled out. Because I think if we look at Aubameyang's up-top performances, the good ones have come with Odegaard in behind and Lacazette has that triangle of Lacazette, Smith-Rowe and, and Saka has done quite well. And we saw mm. some decent interplay between them at times. But I, yeah. I, I do see what you're saying. I just think that, like, we use Lacazette as this, like, wall. And I just... I do I do get the thinking behind playing Smith-Rowe and Aubameyang together. Um, I, I mean, Lacazette together. So I wasn't too fussed about that one. I think Lacazette mm. and Aubameyang were as bad as each other. In the Liverpool game, maybe one was, like... 10% better doesn't really matter to me I wasn't too fussed about that either way the problem is you know uh, this is something I mentioned on the live last night it's all about partnerships across the pitch we wonder why Arsenal are so inconsistent and and we're chopping and changing different methods on on the left on the right in the center and I know some of them are forced by injury but look at the left side Cedric's had some all right games at left back when Tierney was out last and, and that's when we had a left footer on the left and, and pretty much every game, Arteta's gone left, left and right footer on the left and right, you know, from the fullback and, and the winger. For this game, he just decided to change that pattern of play to force Willian into the team. And this obsession with trying to make Willian work for him to, to prove a point, and it's maybe born out of uh, part of his arrogance, which, you know, is part of his good qualities, but this is very much one of his bad qualities and it could cost him his job, you know. Willian... Willian was being forced into the team when we were dropping towards the relegation zone at the end of the last season. And if he starts doing that again, he's changing the patterns of play. He's, he's disturbing things that people are getting used to on the pitch to try and make a point, or I don't know what he's mm-hmm. doing, but it feels like his arrogance might get in the way. Um, and he needs to just, you know, play the best players, play the best partnerships and keep come some consistency. And, but is think, is Cedric and Pepe a good partnership? I think it's proven that they worked quite well together. You know, you look but at on the, the right, though, right? 
They've worked well on the right, not the left. No, on the Southampton away um, mm. game, Cedric played left back, Pepe left midfield, and I thought they both had brilliant games. If you think uh, Pepe scored, I think first half. Yeah. Second half, Cedric did that crossfield ball to Pepe, who then assisted Lacazette. That was a really good game. They had two or three games where they were a hell of a lot. I think United at home, uh, he was quite good as well, Cedric, mm. um, at left back as well. But that's what I mean. This is the only game that he's changed that left-right footer thing. I, I, I don't really care who it is, but you know, you could play Saka left back and then play Willian left mm. midfield, and that would have that would have worked better because you would have had, you know, Saka overlapping, given the width, so then Willian can come inside a bit. But what he did there, it just looked so awkward every time the ball went out to the left. Um, so, you know, he can't do that again. Hopefully, he's learned his lesson. And as negative as as it feels, and as much as it feels a defeat. You know, we've drawn the game and maybe learned some lessons, I hope, um, so that we can, you know, make different decisions moving forward. But I think that's enough on the, the lineup, but sort of to, to take us into the next section that I wanted to look at is the midfield. Um, and we've all sort of said, oh, he's picked this lineup. Uh, he's picked a team for high technical security. That's why he's picked Willian. And as you say, you know, you felt Willian did that a little bit, but didn't didn't do much with it I, I just look back to the Spurs game um, which feels an eternity ago when we played really well and dominated the game we obviously had Odegaard in the team um, who was injured last night but I just look back to the statistics in terms of how we we kept the ball in that game so Odegaard and Smith Rowe had 97% pass success rates um, and in that game the, the centre midfield trio which was Party Xhaka, Odegaard, they had 192 passes between them. Last night, our centre midfield trio, which was Xhaka, Party, and Smith Rowe, had 105. Slavia Praga, our worst team than Spurs, right? And our midfield trio are making half the amount of passes. That's a big problem. So if he's picked a team for technical security, we had 55% possession. And our centre midfield were making half the amount of passes as they did against a better team. You know, what, what's gone wrong? There's only one player different there, Odegaard for Smith Rowe. But as I say, Smith Rowe got 97% pass success rate from the left against Spurs. So it's not like he's a bad player who can't do that. What do you think went wrong? Was it, a, was it reluctance for the defenders to pass to the midfielders? Because, again, as I said last night, I feel like we've abandoned passing from the back and that really worries me. And as bad as they were for, for the people who watched that and said, you know, just kick it long every time. Why do we bother passing out from the back when we don't have the players for it? Well, look back at the games where we've done well. We do, we do pass out from the back. We've passed out from the back against Liverpool and scored great goals against Manchester city against most teams. You know, we can do it. And mistakes will happen, but that can't stop you. That can't stop your whole philosophy. Otherwise, you get performances like this. And that it leads to sort of scared, um, nervous moments, which eventually led to their goal because people weren't comfortable going forward. Um, you know, no one wants to make that mistake that Leno made a few weeks ago or that Xhaka made. And it just it leads you to not using the midfield, as I say in those statistics there. You know, for that Spurs game, we were playing through. We were getting everyone involved. Our midfielders were getting twice as many passes. We can't go in a few weeks from that to this 
Uh, and that's what really worries me. As much as I support Arteta, that's not a, a great trajectory. The pressing that Prague employed was quite weird. It was like very, very unorthodox. They stuck their two forwards basically on Xhaka and Party in the first half. And in the second half, they stuck them on Holding and Gabriel, uh, which, was, which was really weird, but it, it kind of worked for them. I think it was a combination of a few things, right? Louise not being there, Odegaard, who sometimes drops deep and comes in collectible when there's no option to give it to party Xhaka wasn't there. Um, the fullbacks that we had in Bellerin and Cedric, like Bellerin is, he, he's just not very good at playing inside. Like we all know that. Um, Holdings distribution isn't the best. So I think there was like several factors there that meant that we just didn't recycle the ball as effectively, as quickly. And mm. um, yeah, I think Louise was a big miss, but their pressing, their weird pressing definitely played a part. And I think that also like, you know, Party didn't have his, he had his worst game, right? But he, he really, the, the bit that he was really bad in was on the ball where he lost possession like quite a few times, which obviously impacts those stats massively because he's the guy that usually progresses the ball when there's, uh, when, when he's on the ball in the middle. So I, I think that mm. was, those were, there were several factors. I don't think it was just like Odegaard's out means we have like less ball. I think it's that. I think it's no Louise. I think it's the holding Bellerin combo. I think it's, you know, uh, I think it's Smith Rowe not being a guy that drops deep. I think it's party having a poor game. I think Lena was not amazing on the ball either. I think Cedric looked really nervous in his own half. So I think loads of loads of factors meant that our midfield mm. just either didn't get the ball or when they got the ball, didn't do very well with it. Yeah. But I think, you know, without going into a, another podcast in itself, I think you're exactly right to say that Louise was a big miss, but that is such a problem for Arsenal Football Club when David Luiz is basically, when he's out, you have to completely change the way you play. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the management and the technical staff have to be to blame for that because you've got a player like uh, Saliba. They might not think he's ready, but from what I've seen, he's definitely better at that style than Rob Holding. Um, so instead you're giving Rob Holding a contract, new contract, and keeping him at the club and you're sort of learning out and excluding from squads someone like Saliba who's much more junior but he, he's much more that style of play and allows you you know we've talked about this before when you've got systems and styles of play you need people who can come in and continue to play that way and we don't have that we don't have that at left back with with Tierney's replacement I mean the closest thing we've got is Saka and that's going to cause problems you know you lose what he's got going forward so these things happen because of bad decisions um, before that, but um, we won't go into too much detail. But I think, you know, Partey definitely didn't have a good game. I'm just looking at the stats there. And interestingly, he got a much better rating on who scored than Xhaka did. That means he definitely played better then, right? <laughs> but I'm just looking at what, what's behind that. So Xhaka's stats for pretty much um, everything in terms of contributions, key passes, tackles, interceptions of 0, zero, zero across the board. Um, Partey did make a key pass. He did make a dribble. He did make a couple of interceptions. But you're right. He, he was not neat in possession. He but, did. But some of those stats just aren't Xhaka's job, right? Like some of them no, are, sure, some of them but, aren't. Like, yeah. But the, the, the whole point of Partey is that we have a guy who can 
do what Xhaka does better, faster, quicker, stronger, and then also progress the ball quicker than him. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, you still expect your centre midfielder to to make an interception or yeah. to to make a key pass in a game like that. I think I think where he we did should make dominate. an interception. The one where he nicked it from the I literally watched it. The the one where he nicks it, nicks the pass and like kind of toe punts it back to Leno. Does that not count Pro- as interception? Probably probably down as a tackle. He got okay. a couple of tackles. Fair. Well, I don't know. Anyway. I, I don't think he was good, but like, you know, I, I you know, no one was really good, but like he didn't do badly. I think in the first half he was he was decent. Um, no, the whole half, team but he looked unfit as well. He yeah. he did not look at it either. Like fi- like physically, you could see him shattered in the second half i was quite surprised mm. he didn't come off because um, mm. he just did look he did look really tired that segues us to the next section which is subs um oh. and i think it was another thing i said on the live last night but uh at nil nil this goes back to the mentality thing that i said earlier if you're not changing anything when you've got the likes of bamiang pepe martinelli on the bench and you're not changing anything at nil nil against slavia prague until put Martinelli on on 72 and then brought the rest on at 77. That's concerning for me from a mentality point of view from the manager. It, yeah. it looks like he's happy for a nil-nil, but even the nil-nil was sort of slipping away. I think every player on that pitch at, from about 55 minutes either looked shattered or was playing very badly, um, which is exactly why you make substitutions. So again, going back to my point earlier, it just feels like Arteta's arrogance and wanting to be right. He was just waiting for Willian to do something so he could say, yeah, look, he's continuing to improve. Or he was waiting for Lacazette to get the goal so that he could justify leaving Aubameyang out again for whatever reason. But he, he's letting arrogance get in the way. And, and for me, that led to these late substitutions, which obviously we scored one and conceded one after they came on. But there's no denying that we we started to play a lot quicker, a lot better football after all the substitutions. Absolutely. And I think for me, I, I try and simplify things as much as possible when they get when you get questions like this, right? The very fact that we have five subs should indicate the higher likelihood that we make subs early. Now, if you combine that fact with the fact that we were nil-nil didn't create too much okay we had amazing chances like we should have scored three or four goals take that way there was not really any uh kind of pattern to play from arsenal in in the final third especially like there should have been a sub at half time i was surprised that there wasn't and Mm. i was also surprised that wasn't any subs at 50 minutes when you've got five subs and i think also like the I know I've seen JB tweet a lot about kind of like you don't need super subs to make uh, to beat a pub side. It's like that is true, but you have the downside of like if you play your strongest team uh, and it doesn't work out, you're bringing on like Willian, right, mm. or Lacazette, which is that is really bad. But the, the other side of it is like I agree they looked awful, right, Slavia Prague, uh, but they did. They have beaten Leverkusen, Rangers, Leicester, Leicester, who are like you know better than us. Better than us. This season, uh, they've gotten through all of those to get here. They haven't lost at home. They haven't lost since December. They've lost like three games this season. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they might be way worse than us, but like, this isn't a a team that's going to roll over. And I think we we should have. I think we definitely were complacent to that. But for mm. me, like with the subs, don't, you you give yourself uh, a get out of jail card if you're Arteta 
because the subs are basically made for you. You have Martinelli, Aubameyang, Pepe on the bench, right? Like what, what you do with those and how you get them on the pitch is like a decision to make. Like, do you put Saka at left back? Do you take off Willian? Do you take off Lacazette? Do you take off Smith-Rowe and put Willian in the middle? Like there's so many things you can do and that's a decision to come by. But like the decision is made for you. It's not like, oh, do I bring on this player or this player? Like, do I bring on Willian or Lacazette where you're like a bit reticent to bring on either? Your decisions are made for you. And like, I think it was concerning to me um, and I and I hope this is a learning to Arteta, but I, I I haven't really seen much evidence for that because we've we've kind of criticised his substitutions in the past mm. that he didn't make one until seventy third minute and to not make the right one as well. Like I, I I thought it was kind of like a a bit of a fuck you to to Aubameyang and and Pepe that that Gabriel Martinelli came on like a guy that's pretty much not played for the last like two three months since Chelsea got the minutes ahead of your two top scorers like mm. i think that was kind of like a it felt like a bit of a, a willock coming willock willock coming on in the in the europa league final under emery type moment which i hope yeah. it's not but it, it a, felt like that it's a hundred percent another moment of of him, of him trying to make a point and he needs to stop trying to make points on the pitch to players for things they've done potentially off the pitch i say that because uh, Aubameyang turning up late on several occasions and I think there's something still going on there um, in terms of behavioural um, and it feels like he's trying to make a point I 100% agree with you putting on Martinelli a few minutes before them is just you know I know a lot of us want to see Martinelli but let's be honest Pepe and Aubameyang have contributed way more and are much more likely to do something for us um, at the moment so doing that and doing it just a couple of minutes before when both both of them were late as well um, it's just trying to make a point. And that's what really angers me. As much as I want to support this manager, he can't keep doing things like that. And Yeah, I think it was it was a really poorly managed game by him. And I think we said on the space, it's like, it's like, what can you say when your manager drops a, a clanger and every single player on the pitch plays terribly? Like, mm. and then you compile that on to the fact that we have uh, improved our transfer business, but not improved it enough. We have had like three lots of exec changes at board level in the last three years. Mm. Um, I, I think we're at a point now where Arsenal was kind of like at a low historically when you talk about on the pitch and off the pitch manager. Well, not necessarily manager, like, you know, it's very hard to judge Arteta off like the last 12 or so months, but like some of the players we've got, like we know what they are and we know what they do, right? Like mm. Lacazette has not been at Arsenal for 12 months. Um, Rob Holding has not been at Arsenal for 12 months. Uh, Bellerin has not been at Arsenal for 12 months. So I think it's, it's really frustrating and it's really hard to actually make, uh, I, I guess, like kind of, make yourself have an opinion on someone or something when everything's going wrong if that makes sense like it's mm. very it's a lot easier like if the players played really really well or like there was some life to them and you know Lacazette tucks that away and Saka tucks that away and um, Aubameyang tucks that away but like when you're having things like that happen and uh, Cedric like suicidally playing the ball back to 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 Gabriel like it's very difficult to kind of make like a reasoned opinion as to what you think. And I think also there is a saving grace in our, for Arteta in that. Uh, and by the way, I think he, I don't think he should go. And I think the Crowings are, are fully invested in this project for the next like 
at least the next like 12 to 18 months to see where it goes because again is there any point chopping and changing there's two things that i think are the saving grace for him one that he got that promotion to manager which i think was a bad decision um because and the reason i say that in terms of why it's a saving grace for him is that the croenks and the the board will look at that and be like well if we sack this guy we need to we need to hire two people we need to hire a coach at probably the same salary and then we need to hire a director of football who's probably going to be on a lot of money Mm. and we have to pay off arteta and the staff like that's a that's a pretty big decision and one that i i, I almost think the cranks can't be bothered with <laughs> i know that's yeah. such a weird thing to say but like i can't imagine josh crank being like okay let's sat this guy and get in a director for it. we'll get in an, another coach and get him all his his staff as well and pay off arteta and then they might want different players we've also like arteta and edu have already talked about very openly and publicly that they've already discussed their transfer plans i don't think it's going to be that on the pitch decided if that makes sense his his mm. future and the other thing i think is like there just aren't that many good coaches around like yeah. who have you got you've got nagelsman allegri uh and then after that you're like oh do you do you take a punt on someone like kovac at monaco or um or or hasn't to towards southampton like it's not it's not cut and dry um and I also don't think I, I'm not 100% sure like how that would work and whether or not they would improve the team massively. And then on top of that, you have to go hire a director of football and pay off Arteta and his staff. It's a it's a big mess, really. Yeah, I mean, if if it ends up going down that route, well, we can have a long conversation about that. But I really hope we don't have to. And I, I still I, really I genuinely, I genuinely, yeah, I agree with you. Mm. And I don't think it is like just because of. How nothing's many, gonna nothing things that i said yeah there's, there's no chance anything happens till the summer and i think they only even think about that it then if we go but out like, next week and but, we finish the season absolutely terribly and, and finish sort of maybe even bottom half but like what's the difference between 10th and 12th right mm. like mm. arteta's already said there needs to be an overhaul he's already said we're six seven players away like yeah i just but when someone's making if someone continues to make decisions and you know based on arrogance and based on making a point like he's like he's doing and he does that consistently and players start to fall out with him you know things build up and as we said yesterday there does have to be a, a bottom line we don't we can't keep yeah. just saying it, it's a project so he's definitely i, I just to, to i my opinion is that i just don't if i'm if i'm the croanks i don't think that bottom line is purely on the pitch related considering what his mm. actual role is right Let, um, yeah let's yeah. pick it up uh, another time there's one more sub i just want to mention because there was a fifth sub 87th minute just after we took the lead sabios came on <laughs> for smith row again another mentality message um for me i think he tried to take the ball into the corner flag at one nil at home in a two-legged tie you know <sighs> And he's probably been told to go and do that. I just think it's another negative substitution that puts us a bit more on the back foot. When he played number 10 the other day, we were absolutely terrible as well. So yeah, I know Smith Rowe might have been knackered, but it's another another five minutes or whatever. And mm. if you want to make another sub, you know, you've got Nelson who could have come on out wide or I don't know, just something else. Just just leave it for those few minutes. You know, we yeah. just started to play well again and he, he's again changing the patterns. So that was another another poor substitution. Um, so we've been quite negative. Um, and before we go, I just want to touch on one positive each. And my one, uh, which I mentioned yesterday, is this tie obviously isn't over. 
uh, it's, it's 1-0, so it's far from over. We're not losing this game. They've not got several away goals. Yes, they got one away goal, but as soon as we score one, which I'm very confident we can do, you know, that's that's out the out the question. So it's one all and whilst it feels like a defeat, I I genuinely I sat back and I thought with this Arsenal team I trust it more from one one going into the second leg than I did from one nil. And that that's terrible. But I just think when so much of how we play is set up from the start and from how we've trained all week and from the team selection and from mentality. If we went in with a one nil I really worried with what team Arteta would select and how we'd play. Would we try and sit on the lead? Because we've proven with, what, 14 games without a clean sheet in a row, we can't, in a back four, we're not a team that can sit back and be confident that we're not going to concede. But I think Arteta would have believed that we could. So I think the even more frustrating thing overall, Mm. when it comes to what we're discussing, everything in terms of uh, Arteta... Um, like with Emery it never quite felt like even in that unbeaten run the underlying stats were awful but also like it didn't feel like we were building something and it didn't feel like the team was playing well under Mm. Arteta I guess that the more frustrating thing for me is when I see things happen like this and, and the Liverpool game is like we have shown signs of building some formula to doing stuff and of course winning trophies right um and he's proven himself adaptable especially in, in big games he's, he's managed those really really well uh on the whole it makes it even worse right because you're like because if it's kind of you know emery does another emery you're like oh fucking hell here we go again but with arteta it's like well you've shown that you can get these guys to play really well and again with the players you're like thomas party you've shown that you can play at a like near world-class level and you do that, it's kind of, it makes it even harder to swallow. Um, and I think there was that, that's that crazy stat, right? That we scored two goals from like 5.6 XG over in, in, in our knockout um, Arsenal games, uh, in the knockout uh, Europa League games so far this season or something like that. I, I, is, it, is, it, is that right? Or in the last, in the sure. last I, don't, I don't know what the stat exactly was, but it was, it was abysmal. I think in the last two games or three games in the Europa mm. League. And I think I was looking at like, and again, we're going to mention the sofa score ratings, but like Leno's sofa score ratings for every single one of these knockout rounds has been like under a six or under a 5.8 or something like that. And I just think like when your manager gets it wrong and the players you most rely on consistently get it wrong over like a five, six game stretch, it's very hard to swallow. Mm. Um, sh- should we get into some really quick questions before we, we wrap up? Yeah, I did ask you for a positive, Pat, and you, I've you, got nothing. you turned it into an I, I'm going to go for Balogun's, negative. a Balogun's contract. <laughs> Am I allowed? Yes, Balogun. I know, um, I, I, genuine positive. We literally dropped a 3 out of 10 and should have won 4-0. It felt exactly like the Olympiacos first leg where we should have, we should have won 5-1, mm. but we didn't score any of our chances. And there's only so long that can go on for. Like, unless Lacazette literally loses both of his feet and a Bamiyang... Um, you know, starts playing in plimsolls like that can't. Do you know what I mean? Like it just can't continue to go that way. You'd think anyway. Maybe mm. I'll do some data stuff. You'd hope. It. You'd hope. Right, let's do one really quick question each okay. before we wrap up. I think we've got three. Got one? Three total. Three total. Or four total. So bad for the, really the one person who's going to miss out. So we got one from last week. SK at shy k fifteen. Question yes. for your next podcast. The last one was good quality. Cheers. Appreciate that. How much does... Uh, the last one, by the way, without you. 
just saying. Oh, okay. uh, no, thank you. How much does our recent demise owe to an op- opportunistic approach to transfers over the last 10 years? Yeah, I think, I think we, we, we tend to touch on it a bit in every podcast these days, but I think it's, um, we've clearly had some very different structures and hierarchies behind the manager, behind the coach um, over those last 10 years. There's never been a long-term strategy. Um, and as he says, you know, opportunistic approach to transfers has obviously contributed massively because it means we don't have a strategy for how we buy players, how we sell players, which therefore restricts our reinvestment and holds us back. So, you know, it's, it's the root of pretty much all of it for me. Um, even, you know, even the late Wenger years um, and Gazidis, that's potentially the worst period of... Um, what we did off the pitch so yeah for me for me it's massive yeah I, I totally agree I think if you look at the last eight eight years worth of transfer windows they've been utterly horrific have you got mm. a question um I've got a question from final runner who says where does the team need to strengthen considering all areas look weak <laughs> I wanted to finish this positively. All areas that we uh, do regret selling Martinez. Do you want to just say on the Martinez very quick answer? I've kind of been of the opinion that we should have kept him, but I know that that would have meant that we wouldn't have been able to buy party. And also you can't really have Leno on a hundred grand a week sitting on the bench. So I think from a business standpoint, it was the right decision, but like, and I think we were talking about this before the, the pod, like this kind of conflict between uh, manager and coach for Arteta. It, it must be really big when you're like part mm-hmm. of the team deciding uh, how much money you need and what you need on the pitch best. I think Martinez is, I, I, I prefer him as a keeper. I think he has a better presence and I think he's better with his feet. I, I don't, I think they're about the same level, but mm-hmm. um, uh but I do think that I prefer him. In terms of where we need to strengthen, I think it's it's really clear. Like central midfield, times two, maybe right back, right centre back. Hopefully Saliba comes back. A backup Listen left to back. the last pod. Listen to the last pod. A backup left back and then a, a forward, but maybe not now that Valigan's staying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with pretty much all of that. Um, Got one from a. a uh, Adubo4, who says, how lucky is Mikel that fans haven't been around this season to turn up the heat on the ship show? And then PWACA has said, how much of our performance do we blame on Arteta and how much on our players? Most of our squad would be nowhere near the top four starting 11. Oh, I agree with that last point, actually. I don't know what you said, what you think, Ollie, but like, if you made like a combined Arsenal and Villa 11, where we're both kind of mid-table, mm. how many of our players would get in there? Yeah, I think our squad isn't as good as some people think, but I equally think it's it's a bit better than than others. I mean, you can't look at a midfield with Shaka and Partey and excuse it not dominating Slavia Prague. Um, you know, Partey's established established European, you know, top tier player, and uh, ultimately the manager's not getting the best out of him. Pepe's a seventy million winger who was wanted by a lot of teams across Europe, scoring lots of goals. I know in France, but he's clearly got a lot of talent. The manager's not getting the best out of him. So it's a bit of both. Um, I think we can be doing a bit better with certain players. Equally, Arteta's getting more out of some players than 
than I would expect. So, and, and some of those players haven't just been a Arteta thing, right? Mm. Like mm. Pepe hasn't performed under three managers, been left out the side by three managers. So, yeah. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. I think he would have gotten a little bit more stick if fans were in the stadiums. But like, I mm. think a lot of the like, I'm I glad they aren't. Of, I think a lot of the players can count themselves even luckier to be honest with you the players are cowardly their mentality is just terrible i mean the fact that you know we look at arteta but for me when you're playing slavia prague at home and you're playing like that you don't need the manager to hold your hand like these players are good enough to be putting in better performances than what we saw yesterday and that you know that's it and we will leave it there to keep it bite-sized guys um as we say Give us a follow at Fresh Arsenal Pod on Twitter and look out for our sort of instant reactions after the games on Twitter spaces when Twitter allows us to do so. Um, other than that, we'll be back with a pod next week. I've been PB. And I've been Pep Berisha at P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A on Twitter if you guys want to follow and check out the next reaction on spaces. <laughs>